You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Jones over the top. It is caught and taken in for a Giants touchdown by Rhett Ellison. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey, ho, 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 Grump. Happy uh, two weeks before Christmas Eve. I'm uh, I am in the Christmas spirit, and I am very holly and jolly and merry because our New York Football Giants are still in first place. Damn right, we're still in first place. Yesterday, Ray Perkins passed away. Uh, he now going to date how old I am. My furthest memories back of the Giants were watching the Saturday night Ray Perkins show on, I think channel nine, where it used to be on at like five o'clock and it was like an hour long show. And it was like a, a, I I don't even remember who used to host it, but it would interviewed with Ray Perkins and he would talk about the previous game and get ready for the next game. You know, this is the right after Phil Sims was drafted and he was hurt. And it was like Scott Bruner was the quarterback. Uh, Rob Carpenter was the running back. They had Brad Van Pelt on that team. Uh, let's say Joe Danello might have been the kicker. Going so this is as far back as I remember. So, you know, then he left to go to Alabama. He replaced Bear Bryant, and then he wasn't successful there. Then when I moved down to Florida in high school, he became the coach of the Bucks when I went down there. And they used to have, he was a hard ass, and they used to have the three a days during training camp. I remember. Can you imagine that in today's world? No. Have three practices a day in. July in Tampa, Florida. No, different world. So, uh, you know, it's just so heard that he, that he passed away yesterday. It's a, it's a sad thing. It's one of those kind of, oh, I always remember that guy, and you know, that's his tide. I have to, you know, that's as far back as I go with the Giants. It was Ray Perkins. I mean, some of you people out there go back to the dark days in the '60s and even earlier, but that's that's kind of my tide of the past. So sorry to hear that he passed in. Uh, that's that. Yeah, the the once a giant, always a giant. So. Yeah. Unless you're Odell Beckham, fuck him. I'm not. If you were listening to this episode hoping to get some Beckham opinions, I I don't even care. So that's Who? it. Yeah. Hey, Grant, let me ask you a question before we get started. And you know, I did not ask you this before. I'm putting you at the, uh, you know, see if you're awake or not. Uh, what's your Mount Rushmore of your four favorite Christmas songs? I have to tell you something. Uh, people, people who don't, you know, know this side of it. I, I try to, I've, I've tried to like keep my food opinions, my movie and TV opinions, <laughs> and my music opinions mostly off of my Grump Twitter account. Um, That's fine. But I am actually, I was a music major. I was a music recording major. Um, yes. So I have, I have a love of music across all genres um and like literally if if, if the random person you've been in the car with me so you've seen my shuffle go from like all over the place yeah all over the place right uh and, I, and my, my music taste goes across every genre except christmas music i cannot stand christmas music so oh, my mount rushmore is when you know you pack too much dynamite into the mountain and you level the whole thing Wow! All right. Well, I, I it nothing chaps my ass more than Christmas music, and you know what? I also spent like 16 years working retail, so that'll do it to you. All right. So I have a couple of things before we move on to talking about the Giants. One, probably this summer when we're in the the middle of nothing going on, we're going to have a couple of special edition Just Giant podcasts where Grump and I debate whether the Beatles or Queen are the better band or the more relevant band or the more popular band or the more influential band. That'll be one episode. We'll do a separate episode over whether Goodfellas or um, The Departed is the better Scorsese movie. We have very different opinions. Those podcasts will go on for about Yeah, those might be three or four hour podcasts. Exactly. And also, how dare you, you heretic, not like Christmas music. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can appreciate some stuff, but I mean, you know, I also I grew up during the era of like every pop artist had a Christmas album that was like yep. 
vomit-inducing. Well, first of all, fuck all that. First of all, well, But that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. that is, like, the foundation for me in, in Christmas music. So, right. Right. I mean, it puts me off immediately. Like, you go back to the, the Mariah Carey's and Britney Spears and Jennifer Lopez and Christina Aguilera and 98 Degrees. And that's every Christmas. fucking pop artist had a Christmas album, and it was every year there was a new – it was – and they're all bad. They're all really bad. So, all right. For those of you dying to know, since I am the token Christmas music aficionado of this podcast, I am going to go with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Frank Sinatra. The instrumental music from the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas album, Christmas Rapping by Curtis Blow. And the live version of my favorite things by John Coltrane may not be officially a Christmas song, but it's always played Christmas time. Those are the four jams I geek out to every December. I play them from December 1st until Christmas Day. And I don't hear them again. So, um, you, you know, what? those those are all perfectly fine answers. None of those make me want to rip my head off when I'm listening to them. So I'm, I'm OK with that. I the other thing, too, is that like. The thing is with Christmas music is that I can like a song because I was just trying to like think: is there anything, anything? And the, Version I, of the song. I can like it, but you hear it within a month span like a million times, and it's just like I could have the one time fine because it happens every year. You know what I mean? So well, like, the thing is, you don't bother, don't put on an all Christmas radio station because you'll hear. 98 horrible versions of Sleigh Ride or Winter Wonderland or. You know, chestnuts roasting on open fire, and they're all awful. Anything, basically, my rule of thumb for any of you people is any recording made after the day you were born, don't listen to. They're all garbage. Everything that's older than you, so you can remember watching in the car with your parents or your grandparents, that's acceptable Christmas music. But if you're going to hear this to some fucking Shania Twain or uh, something just beyond brutal that sounds like they knocked it out in 15 minutes – Please don't even bother. Take it off my radio. I, I guess so. if there, there's two that you didn't mention that I do like is uh, – is it White Christmas by Barry White? Ooh, interesting. Yeah, that one's not bad. And then – and this this is where I thought of that. I, if I listen to it once, I'm like, that was awesome. And then the thing is is that you see it a thousand times throughout a Christmas season is the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. It's pretty sweet. I've actually seen them live in concert when I was – living in Tampa and working at the ice palace selling beer. They, uh, I don't know how they do it, but they must do 5,000 concerts from Thanksgiving to Christmas all around the country. And they, you know, it's a, it's pretty amazing. They have like, like half the arena floors, this amazing, like Christmas village they set up and it's all the lights go off and everything. And they're going off playing it. It's, it's pretty cool to see live, but uh, yeah, that's good too. Yeah. I, I mean, but then again, you you see the same like light show to it, the, whatever the Christmas light show to it a thousand times, and you're like, I yeah, enough of yeah. this already. So, and gotcha. speaking of which, enough of this conversation. So <laughs> it's it's you know this is great stuff. We have a relevant podcast. We're talking about other bullshit, but um, it's Christmas this time. Should, I mean, normally this, this would be, be a, the whole podcast. This should be a podcast from 2018, Just Giants Week 15. But unfortunately, or fortunately. We have some real important things to discuss, like the march to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, so so the Giants are coming off of a big-time win in Seattle against a, a very good team, almost definitely a playoff team. I guess there's scenarios in which they can get bumped out, but very unlikely. Um, I believe they're leading the division still, or they might have just fallen behind the Rams, actually. I think they just fell behind. But also, not only are they a good team, we didn't luckily beat them. We, we, yeah, we, we handled business out there. Yes. With a backup quarterback. So, you know, Giants fans feeling real good. And then right on cue, Washington comes up and dismantles Pittsburgh's perfect season. So Washington's still (laughs) right in the mix. Now, we've already said this before, but encourage you to watch Washington games because it's relevant. But don't get all bent at it because there's nothing we can do about Washington. If as long as we stay tied with Washington, we're fine. So the only thing that matters is that Giants win games. We don't get to play Washington again, so there's no do-overs. We handled our business with Washington. The only thing that the Giants can do is win games. Have the same record or better as Washington, and we're in the playoffs. We have destiny in our own hands, and that's mm-hmm. all you can ask for. I mean, you know, again, if you would have told me any time you know, during this offseason or even last year, if even if – destiny wasn't in our hands and there was an outside shot we'd make the playoffs we'd be thrilled 
being in a position where we just handle our own business, you know, and we're in, and probably, and, and even with a little bit of wiggle room too, you know, now we're just, now we're cooking with gas. So, you know, now it gets exciting. Absolutely. And the Giants go out, uh, they don't go out west, but they they get themselves another NFC West opponent. It's the Arizona Cardinals at one o'clock, and they are coming to MetLife Stadium. Unfortunately, we cannot be there to cheer them on. Um, but you know, this is the second time in two years that they're facing Kyler Murray. Yeah, so that is correct. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a weird history of the, of the rivalry with Arizona because you know the when they created the NFC East way back when, and they stuck a St. Louis Cardinals in and Dallas, to be very frank with, uh, you know, Washington, Philly and the giants, it seemed like a kind of a weird team to have in there. And then when they went out to Phoenix in the eighties, it was, you know, they weren't very good. You know, they played in at sun devil stadiums. It was even a real NFL stadium. It was just kind of a weird, you know, it always seemed like we played them right around like Thanksgiving week when they sucked. And, Whenever we were good, we just seemed to lose to them. Uh, I remember the the 2000 year um, when we went to the Super Bowl. That was the game that actually turned around our season. Because remember, we were playing like shit before that Thanksgiving, and we went there and we beat them, and that kind of turned us around, you know, to kind of get us on the on the on the track to, to winning the you know division. And not that we weren't record wise, but we weren't playing well. We needed a you know to kind of get back on track, and that started the final push. So. It's a weird kind of, I don't know if it's a rivalry, but a weird, you know, it's like that distant cousin you used to have that you never see anymore and you see every once in a while, so. <laughs> Me? It kind of, kind of epic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my first ever Giants game uh, was a Giants-Cardinals game in like 94, 95 or something. Dave Brown days, so. Yeah, yeah, brutal times. Uh, these are much better days here. So the, the quarterback situation, though, may not be all that different. Um, we still don't know who's going to play. It looks like Daniel Jones did practice in a limited fashion, and that that as Art Stapleton was very nice to have pointed this out. Um, we don't ever really discuss this, but limited is the amount of reps taken. It's not how they looked or, you know. What, I mean, it's just the amount of reps. So it's it's natural for someone coming off an injury to practice in a limited fashion. Um, Especially for where the injury is, too. Correct, yeah. So Jones, if you've actually seen the video, there's a couple of videos circulating of how he was moving and throwing in practice. looked totally normal to me. If you told me he had a hamstring injury, I would not have guessed. Um, uh, so, you know, we might see Daniel Jones. Um other than that, the Giants are relatively healthy. Uh, Darnay Holmes is kind of nursing a knee. He was also limited. Blake Martinez is still nursing his back, and Matt Parrott is still nursing his ankle. Those are the holdover injuries from last Sunday's game. They are they both practiced in a limited fashion, and Madre Harper is still hasn't practiced. He's got a knee, but again, this is that's a backup at this point. Arizona, on the other hand, is dealing with a lot more on the injury front. Um, they. A new addition is DeAndre Hopkins, and that's got to be the biggest thing uh, as far as a singular player with an injury. Um, he, he is listed as a neck and back injury. He hasn't practiced for two days now. Um, I fully expect him to play, but it's going to be a matter of what level is he going to play at. A big difference. <laughs> or not having him. So I want to go back to a second to back at Daniel Jones on our side that this is one of the things where as we're learning about Joe Judge and we're learning what type of coach he is and what type of messaging he likes to give out. Um, some coaches are very stoic and they just, you know, they don't say anything. Some coaches like to be overly optimistic when they're talking to the press and they always like, oh, yeah. Things are looking good. We kind of expect him to be back, and then he doesn't show up. Um, I, I feel like he's being kind of down the road and being honest with everybody right now, but what his expectation is for him. So it's one of these things where, you know, does it really matter what he says? Does it affect if Daniel Jones is playing or not this week? No, but it's kind of as we're learning this head coach, we feel like, you know, the more we see the results on the field and the way he conducts himself and the way he kind of building the culture of this team – things we're learning about Joe Judd. So um, let's see what happens, you know, if he actually plays or not and kind of bring it back to what he said, you know, for this and other injuries and things, because we can get a better read on the future of what to expect for games going forward. 
Yeah, definitely something that we should revisit at the end of the year. Just kind of look back and see um, how we felt leading up to the game, and then what the results were. Um, what is your uh, What is your gut instinct? Is he playing or not? My gut instinct is that he's going to play. Um, see, my gut instinct is he's not. Yeah, I mean, it could. Go, I, I neither would surprise me. Um, mm-hmm. But the way he's moving and and practice and the fact that it came out later that he actually was a game time decision for last week tells me he's going to play this week. If that hadn't come out, I would have assumed... I mean, just like I assumed Sunday when I didn't know he was a game-time decision, essentially, um, I would have just thought he was out because he was always going to be out, and even if he was feeling better, he didn't get the reps. Um, So what is the weather supposed to be like this weekend? Average, fair, about 55 degrees, you know, very slight chance of rain, but just a cloudy day. Uh, okay. So for, I mean, if for we, December, if, that's about as standard as it gets. If we don't have rain, and you know, again, we are playing on artificial turf, but uh, I'm trying to give all the factors that would tilt, you know, the decision going for area on the side of caution as opposed to go for it. So I, I think if we have no rain and we have a dry track, I think that increases the chance of him playing. If it's, you know, even if it's a little slick, you know, that might tip the balance to them holding out because again, you know, these games are important, but they're not. We're not not making the playoffs if we lose this game. And Colt McCoy showed he can at least not be a train wreck mm-hmm. yeah. running the offense. I think that's you know that was a very important showing last week. And again, this wasn't a you know, you know this wasn't the Kansas City offense with Colt McCoy, but he didn't also you know completely melt down and just be a turnover machine. And you know we couldn't move the ball at all. So I think that gives you some options of not having to force you know, Jones back before he's ready enough to play. So I, I'm, I think I'm still going to stick with my gut feeling that he does not play. And we see him in two weeks on the, uh, the Sunday night game, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Well, we'll see. So here's my big thing about this is Arizona is dealing with injuries in a very specific spot. Domata Peco has a knee injury. He practiced full today, but I mean, when I say this, I mean these are guys in the trenches. They play every snap, and uh, it's wear and tear. So when I, you know, when, whenever an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman has a, a lingering issue, it's always something I point out. If I mean, if you, if you followed this show, you know that. And it it was one of the things I pointed out with like Lane Johnson. He came out of the game in the middle of the game both times that we played them. I believe, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is going to happen. So Domata Pecco. Uh, Lecky Fotu also has a hip and an ankle injury. He also practiced full today but was limited yesterday. Richard Lawrence, Isaiah Simmons, uh, inside linebacker, and uh, Devondre Campbell didn't practice. That's the heart of this defense. So why am I bringing this up when we're talking about Daniel Jones? Do we really need to throw the ball a whole lot against a defense that has Patrick Peterson and Buda Baker? I mean... Well, you don't want to be you don't want to be you don't want to force yourself to be as one dimensional unless no. you absolutely have to too. So I mean, you don't you are, is going against their strength, you know, not the a, a little better thing perhaps, but you don't want to make yourself deliberately one dimensional. No, 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 I don't want that's not what I'm be in fear insinuating. I'm just um yeah. Even if Jones plays, I don't think that he needs to be dropping back and and I you know, and and this is the most hypocritical thing ever is I I'm I'm coming off of weeks and weeks and weeks of saying throw the ball down the field throw the ball down the field this may not be the game for that I mean this is a team whose presence is well and also their defensive coordinator loves to throw crazy blitzes on top of it um he likes to bring slot blitzes you know Marcus Golden and Devon Kennard coming in off the off the edge as well um but this is a back this the entire defense thrives off of great coverage from Patrick Peterson, Drake Patrick, Byron Murphy was drafted. Uh, Buda Baker is is one of my favorite players. I, I, when he came out at Washington, I was like, oh man, safety is just so not a top priority right now, but I love this dude. And um, you know, I, I knew I knew the Giants were gonna take him, but I wanted I wanted him so badly. He's, just reminds me of um Earl well, Thomas. we want to go. We're not going to go air raid against them, obviously. But we what, still I'm want to have is, it, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, Daniel Jones can sling it. That's that's awesome. He can go back there. But I think that this might be the game where 
leaning right into a heavy run dose right down the middle, like just right through the heart, just right at the injuries. You know what I mean? And they're not that strong there anyway. I mean, aside from Domitop Peko, I'm going to list off some players. Tell me if you know a thing about Zach Allen, Trevon Coley, Angelo Blackson, Luke Fotu, even <laughs> Richard Lawrence. I mean, do you know who any of these players are? I can I can honestly say no. Yeah. So this is not a super talented defensive front. This is a team that is rebuilding just like we are. They just have a more prominent quarterback. Well, here's the thing. I don't want people to necessarily take the fool's gold either. I mean, the running game did a very good job last week. I mean, it's you know, been I, doing a good job for it, several it, weeks. It's it's, it's 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 adequate right now it's it's not a great running game it's it's gone from being horrendous to adequate with some signs so i'm not sure that you know i have the complete confidence to say i'm going to turn this over to the running game and just attack you know a a, a weakened you know front seven i i still think we have to be as balanced as we can now that, that doesn't mean that we should like i said you know bombs away every other throw not at all and especially if uh Jones doesn't play, but I, I think I don't want anybody to have a false sense of, well, the running game problems have been solved and we can count on that to be consistently gobbling up yards every time and, and, and you know, taking up huge chunks of chunks of clock. We still going to have to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, you know, the combination of passing and running and, you know, some of these little trick trickery things that uh, Garrett likes to do and, and stuff. So I think we just, I think we just still run our offense what I'm kind of saying. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, what I'm saying is that this uh, – our offense has not thrown the ball down the field very much yet. Um, it's mm-hmm. been effective when we've done it, which is a good reason to bang your fist on the table for it. But uh, this might be the game where – you know, we've seen these drives, and they've typically happened in the in the second half of games where and, – and I fully support this. We just run the ball for nine straight plays. Mm-hmm. And you know why I support it? Because any play that works, and by works I mean four plus yards, prove to me that you can stop it, and then I'll stop calling yep. it. I Especially mean, I don't care. We'll play. just keep running the ball down your throat. If you, if we're gonna rip off eight yard chunks, why stop? And this might be the game where we look back, and you know Jones might throw for a hundred and thirty yards. You know what I mean? But who gives a shit if? If that's what's going to win us the game, I, what I'm saying right now is that all the things I've been screaming at Jason Garrett to do, throwing the ball, may not happen this game, and I may not have a problem with it. This this really yeah. isn't the game where I want to test things downfield more than three to four times. Well, first of all, if Jones doesn't play, we're not going to do that. And even if he does play, again, how limited is he actually going to be? I mean, I'm not expecting 100% April Fresh. Daniel Jones to play who can do everything, you know, physically. So we, we you might be getting 85% of his skill set. And maybe, you know, we don't know, you know where the injury is. Can he plant? Can he throw? Can he make the deep throw? It may not even be possible, too. So they made that decision may be, you know, taken away from them if they even wanted to do that or not. So. Yeah, that's a good point. I know it's a hamstring injury, but it was very evident when he was trying to throw that he was just kind of pulling a fade away because that's all he could muster. And that was just like and that, that one play when he came out of the game, if you remember, it was just like a like a 10 yard pass over the middle. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a, a, a deep route or anything. He just threw across and he just grabbed it. And that was the end of it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a good point. Um, it may play into I will say in the in the short videos, I've seen him throw a couple passes. He looked totally fine. Like I said, you wouldn't have guessed. Um, but they're going to play it safe with him no matter what. If he if he came where out the, of that practice at all. Sore. Where did those videos come from? Was that? Beat produced writers. by by the Giants? No, 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 no. I don't think so. Hang on. Because that's from the Giants. No, they looked like like cell phone video. Hang on. Okay, because like I said, if it, that's something that was on Giants.com or something, um, you know, I, that who knows how that was uh, choreographed. Because remember, reporters can only see the first ten minutes of a practice, and all they can really see is the warm-ups, You know, basically them doing jumping jacks. So if you're seeing actual throws, that might be in-house, uh, and that might have been you know, choreographed to look like something. Yeah, so Jordan Rainon reported uh, with a video of just him taking snaps and throwing uh, 
not like 11 on 11 passes or anything like that, but just dropping back. He, I think he just throws a pitch and then pretends that he just drops back in the pocket, doesn't throw. Um, but he took the first step, first snap with the offense in individual drills, which usually means something is what he reported. Okay. Um, so, okay, I mean, I there, there's reason to believe that he'll play. I mean, this it's not far-fetched to think that he'll be out or in. There's, there's cause of optimism. Mm-hmm. But, again, I'm... I would like to see it to believe it. I bet, I, I'm hoping. I, I feel better than I did this time last week for for sure. But I think at the end of the day, he's going to be held. And of course, everything I always predict is usually wrong anyway. It's the mush. But that's just the gut feeling I have right now. So on the flip side, I know you've been a little bit, I wouldn't say sour, but a little bit colder on Kyler Murray than most other people. Explain why. Who, me? Yeah, you. I mean, most people are fawn- have have always fawned over Murray, but you were just kind of like, ah, I don't know. He just yeah. He's, he's good. Well, I mean, he's yeah. I'd say he's doing better than I initially thought. I mean, there's something about his size. I mean, I hate to sound like one of these draft nicks or something who just cares about stats and and, and combine things, but to me, it's just I don't know. I mean, he just doesn't. I, I'm not sure how much I trust him in in, in the passing game in the, in the deep game. Just I know, just there's something about him when he came out like, this is the number one overall draft pick. This this is going to be a franchise quarterback for the next 15 years. I I don't know. I just there are other people, other quarterbacks, peers of his who I would take over him even right now. That doesn't mean I think he sucks. I just you know, not quite there yet with him. And I think I felt the same way about Lamar Jackson when he first came out, but that opinion changed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm quite there. And maybe also because of the talent around uh, him in Arizona is not as good as what Lamar Jackson had in Baltimore. Um, but I am a, I'm not out. I'm just like, you're right. A little, not at the party just yet. Yeah. So I think a lot of what I think Kyler Murray's success is, is his ability to move. And that sounds very, uh huh. but like, Really, it's it's his size would be a huge problem if he weren't as mobile as he is because he can get out into space where he can see and navigate the field and he has a cannon for an arm and he's very accurate. He throws a really good spiral into tight windows deep downfield. But that wouldn't be possible if he's stuck in the pocket and that's kind of got to be the game plan. Is It's not like he's going to just scramble and run he, he, but he is this twitchy runner too where he just like makes these quick cuts and... You know, he's not like like Daniel Jones. When it's, we say he's mobile, he's he can just take off and he's real fast. But he's running and basically I think I know where you're going line. with this. I think I know where you're going at this too. Um, you know, the game plan from last week. You know, we we provide we were putting lots of pressure right up the middle, mm-hmm. and you know that type of pressure kind of prevents. You know, you're not doing like these corner blitzes and stuff from the outside where he can just go around him or something. This is right up the middle, right in his face. You know, before he has a chance to kind of you know disengage from the pocket and go. So yeah. I, I, yeah. So the difference between uh, like Carson Wentz and his mobility and somebody like Kyler Murray is obviously one's faster than the other. But but Wentz is hard to bring down. He's a big guy. Murray is hard to get your hands on. When you can yeah. put pressure right in his face, then all the edge people have to do is get in the way. They just have to set the edge. They don't have to win against the tackle. All they have to do is get in the way because Carson Wentz can kind of bully his way out of a tackle. Kyler Murray runs around and avoids them. Same thing with Russell Wilson. I mean, I don't want to say anything. I'm not. This is nothing negative. They're just different styles of, of, of runners. Yeah. And if you can keep, if, if you can use your edge guys, because we don't have talented edge guys. They're no. fine. But you can you can use guys to just keep that pocket contained, leave him there, and let him try and avoid people coming right at him. Because he's th- these are not guys who fight their way through contact. They're guys who run around to avoid it. And the other right. thing is, with somebody as short as he is, get your fucking hands up. Everybody on the line all week are probably being taught to get their hands up. If they're not if they're not going to get there within two seconds, hands up. I want to see. And, and, I want to see at least two balls knocked down at the line of scrimmage on Sunday. Yeah, if we can't. If we can't do it twice, they've failed at their job. <laughs> um. So that's not very realistic. Yeah. 
The, the thing is, is that he, the upside is while I think that Murray is a little bit more athletic than even Russell Wilson, he's a lot younger, um, and I don't think I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's not as good at reading defenses and disguises as Russell Wilson might be. Now, the other side of that is that his offensive coordinator has game film on us trying to trick Russell Wilson that he might be able to use in his favor, but that's something that. I think plays right into uh, Graham's uh, strengths. Yeah, and also the combination of that and being younger, a little more reckless abandonment too. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, Russell Wilson's been around the block. You know, he knows when it's the smart move just to fail on a play and that's that or throw it away. Where and we saw uh, that. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks are a deep ball passing team. There were almost no deep shots in that game. I mean, there was the one that was a near touchdown to. Metca- there were two that I think that were near touchdowns of Metcalf that were just broken up. Um, but for the most part, you could see he wanted to go downfield and then just had to settle for you know something in front of the sticks, and then we were able to just play stick coverage and come in and make the tackle or make the hits that were ca- that caused the interception was you know just as soon as the ball gets there, just wail on the guy. Um, I I think you're absolutely right. I think if Murray gets um, stressed. I think he's just going to know where Hopkins is, and he's going to know where Larry Fitzgerald is, and I, I'm picking those two guys in particular. Um, and he's going to throw to whichever one he thinks has one-on-one coverage. And the reason I pick those two guys, even though I know Christian Kirk is probably better than Larry Fitzgerald at this time uh, in 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 Fitz's career, um, and even Andy Isabella, I think it, it looks good to me. I, I didn't really know much about him uh, going into this game, but I. I from what I've watched of Cardinals games before this episode, I kind of like him. But he's going to throw to the two guys who make the best contested catches, in my opinion. And those are two of the best in the league, I would say. Larry Fitzgerald and DeAndre Hopkins do not need to be completely separated from their coverage to make catches. Um, what do you think What do you think of uh, Klingsbury's offense just schematically? I mean, they brought him in, obviously, to, you know, to make changes to the offense, to be – he was a dynamic – you know, offense at Texas Tech and everything. They and his first move was, I want Kyler Murray. Then they blew out a a high draft pick after one year to get him in. What do you just think of the offense overall? Like schematically, I mean, forget all the things that Murray has to do. You know, uh, ad hoc to make things happen. Do you do you find it's a very intricate offense that just gives a defense trouble just by the way it's designed and executed? Or is I it just think the, it's uh, no, I don't think. I don't think so. I, I think this is the kind of offense where you invest heavily on your outside guys. You get them in space and you get them the ball. I mean, that's really what this offense is. Is You have guys running around and you just kind of get the ball to them in space and let them do the work. I mean, it's, it's usually sending guys deep downfield. The, the route running combinations are all very nice, but you have to invest in guys like, like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, you know, guys can who can move, who can catch, who can win things. Kyler Murray is a perfect fit for it because you don't really need a great offensive line for these deep shots if you have a guy who can move and throw as well as he can throw. You know, right. Josh Rosen was never going to fit into an offense like this with an offensive line that was as bad as it is. And and this it, it's better this year than it was last year, but so as a credit, before. And, and so it's a credit to Clingsbury and the organization that you know they they're are on the just, same page. Yeah, and also they were just like, you know, they're not going to take. Even though they have a sunk cost, they're still going to move on. It's like, okay, that we made this investment in this draft pick, but this is not, you know, we're not going to put that square peg into this round hole. We're moving on. So, give credit to them where other organizations are, you know, very stubborn and, you know, well, we use the first round pick and we're going to get the value of that first round pick, even though it's not a value. So, um, that's that was a bold decision at the time, and you know, what they're doing, you know, they. They're, they're an improving team. I mean, they're not an elite team yet. They play in a very tough division, which makes it hard. But mm-hmm. they're, they're they're on the right path. I, I, I like him as a coach. I think they'll – Yeah, you know. I do too. My worry is that I don't know that an offense like that is sustainable. Um, we saw this with, with the Seahawks for years um, where when Russell Wilson was, was younger um, – the offensive line was just totally neglected, and it was his athleticism and getting into space to make deep throws. And it's a slightly different offense, sure, but this the general idea of you know investing in the outside guys 
and allowing your athletic quarterback to get out of trouble and then make deep throws, I just don't know how sustainable it is. At a certain point, you're just putting a lot on the shoulders of one player. Um, And I know that that's kind of the cheaper way to do it, right? I mean, you're only really... When you want a team like the Giants are kind of building, the investment into five guys on the offensive line is always going to be more expensive than one guy at quarterback. Well, especially with, you know, if you have Saquon Barkley, he's going to be the linchpin of the offense, and Daniel Jones, you know, back there, you want to give him time. So uh, the difference between them and Seattle also is Seattle invested so much money on defense. I mean, Mm -hmm. again, as good as... um, as good as Russell Wilson's been, he's a Hall of Famer and everything. Uh, that Seahawks team is going to be known for its defense. It, it always will be for all that you know, the stars and the, and how good it was on defense. So that's really where they they sunk most of their money in as well. Like really good defense, having a quarterback who can make things out of nothing and having guys outside. But you're right, with a salary cap, something gets neglected, and you know they chose to spend more on the other side of the ball. You know, than they did on the offensive line. You talking about the Super Bowl team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, general. I mean, yeah, in general, yeah. But I mean, you know, as as these years have gone on, we we uh, all acknowledge that Russell Wilson is a top five quarterback in the league. But oh, sure. that Super Bowl team, especially because, I, I mean, Manning was useless. I mean, that game was over at halftime, and not not in the. Uh, the Tom Brady Atlanta Falcons over at halftime. I mean, even the for the kickoff for the third yeah. quarter was taken back for a touchdown. I mean, that game was over. over. Denver had nothing going for them. Right. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That that Super Bowl team for sure is known for its Richard Sherman and. But I uh, think even though I think if you just say you know, the Pete Carroll era, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say Seattle Seahawks? I think people, more people would say defense and Russell Wilson. Yeah, and it's interesting because Pete Carroll is an offensive guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you're right. I guess he just kind of like threw the bank at defense and just did what he could do on offense with what he had because he is an offensive guy. Maybe he just figured that was the easier way to do it. I mean, you know, everybody kind of changes what they are. You know, I mean, think about like you know what was Bill Belichick? He was a defensive coordinator, everything, and you know that. He's forever linked to Tom Brady. Tom Brady, and also, you know, his best team was the one that lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl and had one of the best offenses of all time. Yeah, I think at the end that year, averaging over 30 points a game or something like that. It was ridiculous. It was was very insane. Um, But there, you know, there's a lot of coaches around the league. Like, uh, you know, even even in college, think of a guy like Bob Stoops at, at Oklahoma. He was a defensive coordinator at Florida. And Oklahoma, for the entire time he was there, was known for having insane offenses, you know, Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson, guys like that, just all these offensive guys, but he's a defensive coach. You know, the, the really good head coaches, they adjust to the talent that they're able to bring in, the cart they're dealt with, and what, what works, not trying to, you know, force a team to be what you want them to be. So Yeah, I guess that's true, and that that's actually a very Patrick Graham thing, too. Um, he As was opposed some, to, yeah. like, Betcher was not yeah true and spags for that matter um do you find it funny by the way when you watch a kansas city game seeing all these old giant assistants over in kansas city now and they're what are they 11 and 1 or whatever um i don't know it it, the other thing is that um spags has his own connection to andy reed through jim johnson Mm -hmm. um and there's something about seeing Andy Reid that just deep inside me, like my body temperature gets warmer as my blood begins to boil. <laughs> um, I just, I just, I always think of that fucking 08 season where we lost in a divisional round to the Eagles. We were just so clearly a better, better team and had no Burris for that game. It just <laughs> makes me so mad. Um, the other thing I am worried about in this game is. Uh, and I said this last week, and it, I think it is still true, is the run defense has cooled off a little bit. Seattle was able to run the ball pretty well against us. And uh, I, I think they started the second half, and uh, I think we stuffed a couple of run plays, and then they just like totally abandoned it. And if they hadn't, I think that this would have been a tougher game for us to win. But they, they were just aching to get some points on the board from their offense. And um, they were just throwing nonstop. I'm... 
I'm just I'm worried because it's been several weeks now that we haven't seen the run defense as good as we saw at the beginning of the year. And I don't know if that's adjustments based on the offenses that we've played. I can't complain too much because the defense has been spectacular this whole year and we're on a four-game winning streak and I think we've won five of the last six. No. Yeah. That can't be right. No, that's not right. But whatever. We're on a four-game winning streak. So, I mean, I can't complain too much, but... It is a worry that I have not seen the run defense be as dominant as I want it to be. I, I think that might be just adjustments overall. I mean, you know, for that little loss in run defense, you're seeing an, a tremendous increase in, uh, you know, pressure on the quarterback, you know, and things like that, too. So, I mean, you can't be – you can't do everything, I guess. And you, you have to scheme against who you're playing, too. So, you know, when you're playing – you're playing Russell Wilson. You have to worry about, you know, the the, the aerial attack. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I'm not too concerned about until we get gashed. You know, I get worried about the running game. I I look at it this this way. You know, third and fourth quarter, we can't stop the run. We can't stop if we start seeing teams getting six yards, seven yards on first down. If we see it's third and two and we can't stop them for getting a first down, then I get really worried. Yardage, I can live with, and individual plays, individual series, I can live with. You know, when you see it crying throughout a game, that's when I get worried. And I haven't seen that yet, where it's just like, you know, if this is a problem, that we can't stop this. So, a little Ben not breaky philosophy for mine, but I'm not going to worry until. Yeah, I mean, again, for me, it's a straw man argument because it didn't happen, so I'm arguing a point that it might have happened. So I understand that, but. Again, you know, Seattle completely abandoned the run. I'm not sure that we would have been able to stop late in the fourth quarter if they were running, but they just didn't try. I mean, they were nope. literally just dropping back and throwing. So we're talking about, you know, Pete Carroll, the offensive, you know, guru that he is. I mean, he's we're not going to say he's a dummy. So, no, I mean that's not what I'm saying. Just, just they just gave up. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess you know. You know, and and also as time went on, they were kind of fighting against the clock too, because we were up two scores at one point. Right. Um. So I, I guess I guess that probably factored into it because we scored two times back to back. Do you see a potential for fear for a running game uh, doing well from Arizona on, on Sunday, or is that? I mean, Kenyon Drake is good. So is Chase yeah. Edmonds. Um. And so is Kyler Murray, for that matter. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the. Him dropping back and then scrambling is is something that you know. I don't consider that part of the running. No, game. yeah, that's that's not it's, that's, it's that's not designed different. run. But you know, if if they see something and they're going to call something for him, then him running is a integral part of that offense in general. Do, do, it, do we spy? Put a spy on him for this. I game? absolutely. I would put a spy on him sooner than I would put one on Wilson. Okay. You know, just because Wilson's older, he's taking shots. He's just. They're already in a playoff spot. They're not going to do anything too daring that, with him. Who would you have as that spy? Um, I think you rotate it. I, I would pick a handful of people. I would use Tay Crowder because of his athleticism and speed and just his general position. Definitely Jabril Peppers at times. I would say even Logan Ryan at some times. Blake Martinez at some times. And Xavier McKinney at some times. I think the key is to keep changing it to keep confusing him. That I think I think you hit the nail on the head with this is you know and you brought it up before about him about his youth as opposed to Russell Wilson is you know you get to these guys as much in the mental game as you do in the physical game these because these guys they're so physically superior you know they they're fast these these young guys these quarterbacks they you know guys like Mahomes they they throw in these crazy arm angles now that old quarterbacks never used to do but until the game slows down enough where they can master it between the ears. That's your best advantage, mm-hmm. and and you're right. If you have, you kind of disguise what that um, spy would be. Disguise it by looks. Disguise it by personnel. Disguise it when you do it. You know, those are things they have to think about. And every time, every instance they have to think is any instance less they're going to react. So, you know, Graham is showing that he's been a pretty good tactical coach so far. Um, so that'd be something to watch to see. You know, how do we? How do we spy them, you know, and, and how it's how it's employed and by who and when? Yeah, I, I mean, and I think disguise is going to be 100 percent of the game plan going into this, because, again, you know, we're, we're going up against four very good wide receivers. Right. With with Fitzgerald, Hopkins, Kirk, 
and Isabella. Those are those are good wide receivers right there. I mean, even their tight end's not that much of a slouch. Uh, Max Williams is pretty good. Um, they have great running backs they can catch out of the backfield as well. Kyler Murray himself is an athlete. This is a lot for us to handle on the defensive side. So the more we can make him have to think about where he's going to throw, the, th- that is the number one advantage we have. So disguise everything. You know, he comes from a offense where, you, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's not that far removed from college where it's very much your athleticism takes over. Take that away from him. Make him confused, not sure where to go. It slows him down when he actually has the physical advantage. So um, that is definitely going to be the name of the game on defense. And again, like I said, if you're not going to get there, I want to see six arms in the air. You know what I'm saying? Everybody who's in the middle, who's, who's in the way, arms up. So I am ready for a prediction. Are you? Yeah, you can go first. I think we're going to win this one. And I think Daniel Jones plays. I think that we scale back some of his running plays. Um, but I do think that Jones plays. That's just my my flat guess right now. Um, I reserve the right to change that on Twitter later. But um, <laughs> Not after kickoff, you don't. But <laughs> I think this game is going to be harder than people realize. I, I, I know that face-to-face Seattle and Arizona are um, – Seattle is a better team. But – this poses a different challenge for us, and I think this is going to be more difficult than people think. Um, but I do think that we eke out a win, and I think that being able to bleed the clock definitely helps. I think it's going to be close, and I think that we win 23-20. to 20. Well, I wish I had the same enthusiasm you did. I'm, I'm excited we're playing important games. I feel good coming into this game that we're not, you know, it's not a mismatch. We're not undermanned. We're not, you know... We're not for the challenge, but I, I just think that I'm going to predicate this on first. I don't think Daniel Jones is going to play. I think he's going to sit out one more week, and I think that really impacts things. Uh, Arizona has got a – if you look at their season this year, it's kind of an interesting mix of teams they've beaten and they've lost. Yeah, it you know, is very strange, they, isn't it? They, they beat Seattle. They lost to Miami. Um, they lost to Seattle. They beat, uh, they beat Buffalo. You know, they beat um, – they lost to the Rams. Uh, they lost to the Patriots. So, you know, they're kind of all over the place. You know, they're just – they don't have the consistency to, to really get a read on them. Are they actually a, a really good team? Are they a playoff team? Are they a good team? Or are they just kind of a mess? We, we really don't know. Um, I still – you know, for all the improvements we've seen on the Giants for the last four weeks. We've seen improvement on the defense, obviously. The the offensive line is playing much better. We're getting a little more consistency on the running game. I just feel like we are just not good enough yet to say that, you know, that you know, each week is an improvement, 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 improvement. I feel like there's a little bit of a bringing back to earth this week, a little bit of a disappointment. And again, not having Daniel Jones in my prediction – kind of really it kind of snowballs it a little bit more than the actual you know results of everything um you mentioned they have really good wide receivers i think that they're going to hit a couple of a uh, couple of big plays and some couple of quick scores that are going to frustrate all of us um, i do think it's going to be a low scoring game i think we're going to be able to control the clock again by you know running the ball some more i think this offensive line has been playing so much better, and I think we'll continue to improve. But I just don't know if we can generate enough offense with Colt McCoy. I mean, he's a backup for a reason, uh, and I think the longer he plays, the more you see that. I think we're going to lose in pencil. Close game. Wouldn't be surprised if we did win, but I just have a gut feeling that we're not quite ready to say this is a game we should win. We will. I mean, if, if we win this game, that's one of those – it's no longer, well, we're the token team from the NFC East that we have to fill a spot. It becomes, maybe this team is good enough to be deserving of an actual playoff spot. Uh, I just don't think we're quite there yet without Daniel Jones. I think we're going to lose something in a low-scoring game like, I don't know, 21-17. Okay, so we're not but, totally far off on scores. But, if Daniel Jones plays, 
I think you flip the score and we win 21-17. Okay. All right. But I think he's not going to play, so I think we're going to lose Harrison. Moving around the league really quickly. Uh, Dallas is playing at Cincinnati. What do we think? <laughs> I'm thinking that the Red Zone channel better not go to this game too often. Because um, I think that uh, Dallas is a complete mess. Um, I, I don't know. Who cares? They win five to three. <laughs> yeah, I think Dallas is mathematically eliminated at this point. Yeah, I, I believe they are. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I'm torn between a Cincinnati team that played pretty well despite not having their their franchise quarterback. Future. Yeah, their yeah. their future quarterback. And uh, the fact that they're just not very good, and Dallas is playing worse than they are—they actually are. Even with a backup quarterback, even with everything that's going on with them, they are not as bad as they've been playing. And I just don't know because I think they've quit. I think Dallas has just quit. I I think I think I Dallas think they, wins I this think, game, but I, it's actually close. I think they quit on Nolan weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I think, think universally now this team is just done. And I think now they're quitting on Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I think I and I would not be surprised if he gets smoked after one year. That would be something, wouldn't it? It'd be something, but would, is it really that out of the realm of Jerry is, Jones? Yeah, I mean, there is this team is dreadfully bad, and a lot of that's on Jerry Jones for, you know, he's the one who who bought the groceries, but <laughs> you know, the cook has to make the dinner too. So wow. That was beautiful, man. A uh, little, uh, little Bill Parcells throwback for that. But... Oh, is it okay? I thought. Never mind. I'm taking all credit yeah. away from you then. <laughs> um, Washington is playing at San Francisco. This, so this is probably number one most important game that isn't the Giants. How do you feel? Um, San Francisco. I watch him quite a bit because of the the lovely and talented SF Mad makes me watch him every week, but. Uh, they're doing their best, but their best isn't good enough. They're losing games, but it's not because of lack of effort or, you know, they're just, you know, you need, to have a, hurt. You need a quarterback in this league. <laughs> it's, a, it's the biggest thing. I mean, when you're playing with backups, the longer you play with a backup, the better chance you are. You're not going to win. Um, is this game in San Francisco or is it in Washington? It's in San Francisco. I think Washington's got something. They got a little bit of an it going right now and even making the big trip. Uh, out west, uh, I think they kind of smell the potential for winning the division. I think they're going to win something like 21-19. Oh, but, but that makes me think really quick. You know, is there any impact for Arizona having to come east for a game? Mm-hmm. Do you factor that in at all? Uh, I mean, there's something to be said about it being relatively cold, maybe. Um, but these are these are professional athletes, you know. I, I don't know what their travel plans are. You know, I know that Joe Judge has been bringing his team out a day early and letting them get acclimated or something like that. Uh, I don't know if uh, Arizona's doing that. Um, you know, I I don't think it's as bad going east as it is going west for some reason. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's definitely a factor, but I, I in this game with the matchups – that it is, you know, if we were more, if we were a team I was more confident in, I would say that that was something to factor in. But I, you know, gotcha. everything is a factor. The, the, the on-field matchups, they all worry me. So um, I think Washington wins also. And, you know, going out to San Francisco is definitely something to be worried about and you know, whatever. But, you know, San Francisco is missing so much. Washington really does have, I think... I think they have the right stuff to win this game. And uh, that sounds yeah. shitty because San Francisco is so hurt. I just mean, even defensively, I don't think San Francisco is set up to handle a guy like Alex Smith. They're not getting the pass rush that they that they need. You know, he's smart enough to know when to avoid contact, whatever. Um, I just, and, and I, I, I think Washington's got this one. And I think San Francisco is starting to sniff the the finish line too. That their season's getting ready to be over soon, also. And it's been a it's been a tough year for them with the injuries and everything. It's been, uh, you know, they're not going anywhere. So I, I I think Washington sneaks this up with them in in pencil for a win. Next one is New Orleans at Philadelphia. Now this I I would say Philadelphia is the team that Giants fans should be more worried about because, like I said, we can win 
as long as we match up with Washington, we're in. And we don't get to play them again. But we don't get to play Philadelphia either. But they have that tie. And that does worry me. Especially because we don't have the head-to-head on them either. They're not beating New Orleans with uh, uh, Jalen Hurts. That's not happening. Yeah, I, I'm uh, agreeing with you. Let's with put that. that New Orleans in pen. And uh, that might actually be a beating too. I'm, I'm gonna, th- th- let's put that something like 35 to 6. I mean, they're they're done too, Philly. I yeah, mean, I was they, just going to say. I think that's a, at, that team has quit on Jim Schwartz. They've looked atrocious. Uh, I don't understand. You know, Carson Wentz has been bad this year, but it's not real all his fault by it's any not stretch. All. He is no different now than he was last year, or the year before. He's the and same. What all this is is just you know a, a coaching staff, a, a dumb head coach, and a you know a general manager who. Sit around, they drive to work, listen to WIP in the morning, and hear all these stupid cheesesteaks saying, you know, get rid of Wentz, get rid of Wentz, get rid of Wentz. So they're throwing, you know, a Christian to the Lions and saying, okay, let's start him. It's going to be a disaster. I'm going to say, like, again, 35 6. I'll give them two field goals to be generous this holiday season. I think New Orleans is going to eat them. I think Sean Payton's going to eat them alive. Um, and I think, to their credit, they don't really have anything to lose at this point. I mean, they're so banged up and they're so ass backwards that even if they went into the playoffs, they gain any. They don't gain anything from it. Um, well, that no, that that's. I, I don't. I don't believe ever believe that for a second. I mean, you play. You know, the goal is to get into the playoffs. I, I know. I understand it. that. That's my line too. But I mean, they are. Once you're at the point where you're pulling your quarterback out. You know, this isn't the year where Wentz got hurt and Foles went in. More than anything. It's, not, it's not even a question of just, well, we are a different quarterback away from doing something. There's no reason to. I mean, you've invested in Carson Wentz. He's your guy. Yeah, and I mean, it I seems like they're making this decision based on some garbage time throws that Harrods made. I mean, they're like – I see like people releasing a highlight clip and it's like three throws because he was only in there for garbage time. It's, it's, not, it's, it's one of these things like, again, you're trying to appease the fans and you're trying – you're – you're creating controversy where there should be none in the first place. I mean, you started that controversy by drafting the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you spent how much money on Carson Wentz? I mean, especially after the Super Bowl, when the guy who Nick Foles won you a Super Bowl, and you could have, you could have made the decision to keep him. And you know, if you didn't play well after, well, you made a mistake. But you made a very conscious decision to stick with Carson Wentz at that time, and then. The whole world blows up around him, and you decide he's the scapegoat, and yeah. now he shouldn't play anymore. It's just, it's just, it's a collection of assholes down there. It's it's a bad head coach who, you know, Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl, who was an awful head coach. You know, this doofus Peterson wins the Super Bowl. He's not a good head coach either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you know. You made your bed, you lie in it, Philly, and this is what you got. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. You know, I, it, it's felt weird to be supportive of Carson Wentz, but you know, he is no different this year than he was last year, or the year before. The difference is that he is getting no help, and it, it's, it's not through poor drafting. Even I mean, you know, there's other. It's factors, the same problem. But, but it's the same, same problem as San Francisco. I mean, they're both there. They're banged up so terribly. That's right not from the get-go. Before the first game even started, they were super banged up. I mean, you don't fire your GM. You don't fire Lynch in San Francisco. You don't fire the GM in Philly because of what's going on this year. I mean, it's extraordinary circumstance. Now, if you want to, you want to question the decision to to draft uh, Jalen Hurts, where maybe that draft pick could have been used to help you in these injuries. Man, that's 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 another question for another day. But you know. They're just banged up. Yeah, fully agree. New Orleans beats the shit out of them. Um, yeah. And uh, it'll be in Philly, so that's even better. Love that. Nice. Love it. Those are our predictions on this week. So uh, they are all kind of subject to change based on the availability mainly of Daniel Jones. So be sure to follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump where I will be continuing to cover the pre-stuff for this game. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan. I got a busy weekend. I am jumping on a plane Saturday morning to Gainesville to watch Florida beat the shit out of LSU. Jumping back on an early morning flight Sunday. Be in my 
apartment on my couch in time for the 1 p.m. kickoff to see the Giants hopefully beat Arizona, complete a successful weekend as we get closer and closer to the holidays, and I can keep cranking out my Christmas music, unlike some other heretics who, yeah, yeah, some other Grinches who co-host this show. As always, this uh, show can be found on iTunes, Google Play, um, Spotify, you name it, it's out there. Uh, be sure to subscribe, and uh, all these episodes will be available for you in your queue every Tuesday and Friday morning. And with that, everyone, we'll see you Sunday. Go, Go Giants! Giants.